0: Genesis eighteen. Genesis chapter eighteen. Just thinking about faith, we've been um we've been kind of going through Hebrews chapter eleven with the teens. I think it's verse number nine, Hebrews 11, verse nine. It tells us without faith, it is impossible to please him. Paul told us in the book of Romans that the just shall live by faith. God wants us to walk by faith. Big, little, no matter what it is, God wants to be in our thoughts and he wants to be the one that we look toward and the one that we depend on. I always enjoy what we might consider the insignificant or the little testimonies. Alice, you start in that lawnmower. That's faith. That's walking by faith. It, how easy is it for us to look to ourselves to fix our lawnmower or to call a repairman or call a friend or a son or whoever it is and get them to come fix it, And they fix it, we get it started, and we cut our grass, and we never think twice about it. But how often do we actually stop and say, Lord, will you help me with my lawnmower? And then acting on that faith is going out and giving it one more pull, and it's starting up. But God wants to be in that. He wants us to walk by faith. And I personally find it convicting because I know how self-sufficient I can be or try to be, and many times it's my wife who says, hey, maybe we should pray about that. I don't always appreciate that in the moment, but she she many times reminds me, hey, why don't we pray about it? And it's so easy to not walk by faith, or it's very easy to put that faith in ourselves, Rather than put that in the Lord. And tonight I want to look at the faith of Abraham and Sarah. And I want to give you some thoughts. And uh, just, just uh, hopefully it's an encouragement. But in, Roman, or in Genesis chapter 18 verse 9. Notice what it says. It says, and they. So the, the angel of the Lord. The angels have come. And they're sitting down with Abraham. And uh, they're getting ready to judge uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what they're about to do. Uh, After this conversation, that's when they kind of say, you know, should we reveal to Abraham what we're about to do? And they kind of talk about it and then they have talking. And then, you know, Abraham says, for however many righteous we save it for this many righteous we save it. And, you know, they have that whole conversation. So here these angels are sitting down with Abraham and they're talking. So it says, and they said unto him, where is Sarah, thy wife? And he said, behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Verse 12, therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, wherefore, did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. A few thoughts I want to give you tonight uh, in regards uh, regards to this, uh, this event. First thing I want you to think about tonight is the promise. God had made a promise To Abraham and Sarah, that they were going to have a son. Now, you could go back to Genesis chapter 12, and there you would find God calling Abraham out of Ur. And there, God calls Abraham, and he says, You pack up your family and all of your things, and you start heading towards a land or a country that I'm gonna show you. And there in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says, So Abraham departed. Abraham trusted God. He believed God that God was going to do something, so he packed it all up, and he leaves. And God, he goes on that journey with God, and, and and he does what God wants him to do. But go back to Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 13, look at verse 1. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And he went on his journey from, from the south, even to Bethel, into the place where the... T- where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there, at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So here Abraham and Lot they leave. If you remember, um, Abraham and Lot they were both wealthy men. They had a lot of of cattle and uh, different things. They had a lot of servants. And if you remember, their servants started buttonheads. And uh, so Abraham goes to Lot and he says, "Hey." You choose where you want to go, and I'll go the other way. And so they have this. They so they they make this truce, and Lot chooses the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he pitches his tent towards that way, and Abram goes towards uh, uh, Canaan. And so they go their separate ways. Now, notice what God says in verse fourteen. And the Lord said unto Abram, "Notice this: after that Lot was separated from him." Personally, I think Lot caused problems. I think there was kind of a deal there where God was waiting for him to get rid of Lot so he could do something. But once Lot made his choice, and Abraham went the opposite direction, then God says to Abram, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, eastward and westward. Notice verse 15. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Notice that. Thy seed forever. There's the promise of a child Okay, he's going to give Abram a child Verse 16. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Um, So here we see that promise given to Abram Uh, in chapter 14 of Genesis. There you have the account where Lot uh, is taken as a captive and Abram and his servants chase those guys down. They deliver. They defeat them, bring them back to Sodom and Gomorrah. You have the account of uh, Melchizedek and all of that in chapter 14. In chapter 15, look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. Now notice what happens in verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So here he complains about, he goes childless. He's like, God, you haven't done this yet. Where's this heir? Where's this seed? Where's this child I'm going to have? And so he goes through verse 15, go over to chapter 16. Verse one, now Sarai, Abram's wife, Bear him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. So now, Sarah, or Sarai at this point, she decides to take matters into her own hands, and she gives her handmaid to Abraham, to Abram to have a child, and he has who? Ishmael. This poses problems for the rest of time. But they take matters into their own hands and they say, hey, God hasn't given us any kids yet. So you know what? We're going to fix it. They didn't fix anything. But here they try to handle it on their own in chapter 16. So now go to verse 17 or chapter 17. So in chapter 17, God reiterates this promise to Abraham. In verse one, he reestablishes that covenant. Um, In verse four, he says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. And then in verses nine through 14, God gives Abraham the sign of the covenant. It was circumcision. That was to be a sign of that Abrahamic covenant. But now notice what happens in verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her. And give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Notice what happens in verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and did what? Laughed. Now listen, we tend to preach about Sarah laughing, and usually we criticize Sarah for laughing, but Abraham also laughed. Do you know who we usually criticize on Easter? Who do we usually criticize for doubting? Thomas. You know what's interesting, though? If you read all the gospel accounts of the resurrection, you will find that there were several who doubted. I think it's at the end of Luke. If you look at the end of Luke, it says that Jesus comes unto the eleven while they were at meat and he rebukes them for their lack of faith. All too often, we are so quick to draw conclusions about other people's decisions when we are often guilty of the same mistake. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful. Here, Abraham also laughs. And notice what it says. And said in his heart, shall a child be born unto him that is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, that is 90 years old, bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will... Notice, Notice these definite words. Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. God had a plan. Sarah and Abraham, they jumped the gun in chapter 16, trying to fix it themselves. But God had a plan. God had made them a promise, and God was going to accomplish his promise. So go back to chapter 18. Look at verse 14 one more time real quick. When it comes to this promise, I want you to think about something when it comes to God's promise. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Notice what it says next. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee. You know, I think the problem is this. When it comes to our faith, we have to be able to reconcile both God's promise and his timing. Just because God does not accomplish his promise in our timing, that does not mean God is not going to keep his promise. Because God doesn't work on your time and on my time. God works on his time. And so we have to be careful that we don't start assuming that God's not going to keep his promise because it hasn't worked out in our time. Does that make sense? And so we have to be very careful about that. So first you have this promise. God made a promise to them. And God would keep his promise. But not only do you have the promise, but you also have the problem. You also have the problem. Look at verse 11, Genesis 18, verse 11. We just read Abraham saying the same thing in chapter 17. Notice what Sarah says. Now, Abraham and Sarah, verse 11 says, we're old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? In other words, will I have joy in having a child finally when I'm 90? yes. But this posed a problem for Sarah. This doesn't make sense. Let me ask you a question. What's your problem? I'm not asking you like we ask our kids sometimes, What's your problem? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, What's your problem in life right now? What is it you're going through? What is it you're struggling with? What is it that you think is so impossible, so difficult? Problems are real. Was this real for Sarah and Abraham? Yes. In their own reasoning, in their own logic, in their situation, in their circumstance, being 190, I mean, does that make sense to have a child? No. It doesn't make sense. But it doesn't matter if it makes sense to them. This is what God has said. So it doesn't matter what, it, what it, how, if it makes sense or not to them. And listen, we get so caught up in our problem and in our problems that we want to try to make it make sense. We want to make it fixable and we want to be able to handle it. But if you could handle it and I could handle it, do we need God? If Abraham and Sarah are 25, do they need God? You see, God likes to put us like that song. I, I, I said this to my wife when we started singing it, draw me nearer. But the question is, what does God do to draw us closer many times he puts us in pickles that force us to draw closer to him and sometimes that's unpleasant and it's not enjoyable but all too often we are forced into those situations so that way we'll draw closer to God and here Abraham and Sarah they they were at a point where they needed God to do it they couldn't do it themselves they couldn't fix it they couldn't make this happen they'd already tried that But 190 years old, they needed God to do something. And here's the reality. In our problems, we need God to do something. We went to the men's conference there in Kansas, and one of the preachers said, you need an oh God moment. You need one of those moments where it forces you to your knees, and you cry out to God, and you say, oh God, I need you to do something. But they had a problem. The reality is this. Problems are real. For you, for me, we all have problems. We all have circumstances, situations, things that seem impossible, things that are hard, things we're trying to figure out and work through. Things we can't get past. Things that we're trying to rationalize and work out so we can solve it. But the reality is this, you know what we need to do? We need to stop trying to figure it out. We need to stop trying to rationalize it and we need to give it to God is what we need to do. But our problems are real. Our problems are real. We all have problems. Your kids have problems. Your teens have problems. And those problems are real. It's easy sometimes as a parent to minimize them, to kind of look at them and be like, yeah, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, or to act like they don't matter. But their problems matter. All of our problems matter. And you know what? All of our problems matter to God. God cares. That's why He gave us. Uh, what is it? 1 Peter five seven, casting all your care upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. God cares. God cares about our problems. But Sarah and Abraham they had a problem. So they had the promise. They had the problem. Notice their pessimism. Verse twelve, Genesis eighteen verse twelve. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Saying, "After I am old, shall I have a shall I have pleasure? My Lord, being old also." Notice her negative outlook. Do you ever get negative? Do you ever tell yourself this is never going to happen? This is impossible. There's no way this is going to work out. Do you ever tell yourself that? Let me ask you this: Do you ever pray, but in the back of your head you're saying, "No way." You ever do that? I do. You all know, looking at me like, well, I'm glad you guys got it together because, man, I can't tell you how many times I pray and in the back of my mind, I'm doubting. I think Jesus said, let not any man, but something about praying and doubting, think that he shall receive anything. And I know James chapter one says a double minded man's unstable in all his ways and he'll never receive anything from the Lord. God wants us to believe and to trust and pray in faith. Sometimes that's easier said than done. Sometimes that's hard. But notice they were pessimistic. Even Abraham in chapter 17 was pessimistic. He laughed and he said, how am I? That's 100 and she's 90. How are we going to have a kid? Use Ishmael. And God said, no, I will establish my covenant with Sarah and she will have a kid and you will name him Isaac and he's the one I will establish my covenant with. God said, I'm going to do it my way, not yours, Abraham. But they were pessimistic. They were negative about it. The fourth thing when to think about this is God's persistence. God's persistence. In verse 14, it says, is anything too hard for the Lord? You answer that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Obviously, the answer is No. But how easy is it to believe that answer? And here's another issue that I think we have many times. We want to believe that anything or that nothing is too hard for God, that God is capable of doing anything. But I think in our human reasoning, on this side of the coin, what God does, we want that to match up with what we want. See where I'm going? If God is capable of anything and God does what he wants and what he plans, and that's not what you want and what you planned, is God still capable of anything? Yes. Yes, he is. Let's use, let's u- we'll use uh, Tony's testimony about the farmer's planting. Dustin planted. Do you want that crop to grow? Yes, you do. Yes, they do. They want their crops to grow, obviously. But what if they don't grow? Does that mean God was incapable? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And many times I think in our lives, when God gives us an answer, we don't like the answer, and we automatically assume God is incapable because we didn't get the outcome we wanted. And ladies and gentlemen, there has to come a point where we surrender our will and our desires to God's will and God's desires. Just like Pastor was preaching this morning in Galatians 2.20, we're crucified with Christ. Your desires, your plans, and everything are on that cross. They're dead. They're gone. They're his now. But we like to take our desires and our plans and what we want back and we want to we make that happen. But God's the one that's in control. God's the one that's in control. And listen... In the next part of the verse, notice what he says. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Here is the amazing thing about God's persistence. God will always do what he has planned. God will always do what he has promised. Always. Always. Take your Bibles, go over to... um, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2nd Timothy chapter number 2. 2nd Timothy 2, look at verse 13. Well, look at verse 12 first. Well, look at verse 11 first. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him if we suffer we shall also reign with him if we deny him he will also deny us notice verse 13. if we believe not yet he abideth faithful he cannot deny himself (laughs) do you realize god's faithfulness and god keeping his promise is not dependent upon you and me what an amazing truth that is god's faithfulness isn't on your shoulders or on my shoulders. God bears that weight. In Hebrews chapter six, I think it is, there it talks about the promise that God gave to Abraham. And the the writer of Hebrews said this, when he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. He swore by himself. Listen, God keeping his word and his promises isn't dependent upon you and me. It's dependent upon God. It's dependent upon God. Praise God that he is persistent in doing what he says he will do. So you have the promise, the problem, the, per, the pessimism, the persistence. And the last one I want you to think about tonight is this, the progress. Go over to Genesis chapter 21. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. I feel like there's an emphasis in verse 1 on God doing what he said he would do. I feel like God is trying to pound it into the brains and into the hearts and minds of humanity that God does what he says. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son being eight days old as God had commanded him. Here, God fulfills his promise. But there's one major thing I want you to think about tonight. And that's in Hebrews chapter 11. Go over to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11. The Bible here says, Through or by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because. How did she receive this strength? to bear a child when she was past age. How? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. At some point in Sarah's heart, she changed her mind. She changed what she believed and what she thought about God And at some point, Sarah changed and she judged. She decided, she put to God's account that he was faithful to accomplish what he said he would do. What an amazing thing. Number one, what an amazing thought that God in his grace, his mercy, his long suffering gave Sarah the time And the opportunity to change. Aren't you thankful that God gives us grace and mercy and opportunities to change? To grow? That he doesn't just give us one chance and bonk us over the head and say, yeah, forget about you. I'll move on to somebody else. He gave Sarah time. And somewhere along the road, she finally realized and she judged. She came to a conclusion and she said he is faithful to do what he said he would do. And ladies and gentlemen, we have to come to the same conclusion. We have to come to the conclusion that God is faithful. God is faithful. Ladies and gentlemen, he's faithful to you. He'll be faithful to your kids. He's faithful to his word. He is faithful. First John one nine tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you realize there will never be a moment when you stop and you confess your sins and ask God to forgive you for whatever it is, there will never be a time when he will be unfaithful to cleanse and to forgive, never. He is faithful to cleanse and to forgive when we confess our sins. In Titus chapter one, verse uh, two. I think I know where Titus is. Um, Titus chapter one, verse two, in hope of eternal life. Eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Do you realize God has promised eternal life to those who call on him? And God cannot lie, he will not retract it, it's there for the taking and anybody who will trust him in that and call upon him God will save and give them everlasting life. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 that's that verse when it when it says when he could swear by no greater he swore by himself. Second Peter take your bibles go over to second Peter chapter 2 or chapter 3. Second Peter chapter number 3 look at verse 8. Here we kind of have that little conflict of God's God working in his time instead of ours. Notice what it says in verse eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Time does not matter to God. Now we, we function in time. Tomorrow you probably have to be to work at a certain time. You'll probably get up at a certain time. Tonight you might go to bed at a certain time. Tomorrow you might get off work at a certain time. And at one point we're all going to die. We care about time. God does not care about time. Time means nothing to God. God's eternal. And and it just all it just goes together for God. God does not function in time like we function. So notice what he says in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Do you see the trouble that we have right here in verse 9? As human beings who function in time, it is easy to look at God's promise and say, well, he sure is slacking off. Why hasn't he done that yet? But here, Peter says he's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not slack concerning his promises. He'll never be slack concerning his promises. God is is faithful. He is faithful. First Corinthians, chapter one, verse nine. We're going to go to a few verses here real quick. Go over to First Corinthians, chapter one. First Corinthians, chapter one. Look at verse number nine. Here, Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, God is faithful. First Corinthians chapter 10. Go over there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation, temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Notice this. But God is faithful. Go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 3, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. The Lord is faithful. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verse 23. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. And the last one, well, actually, we're not going to go there. You could, we could go to Isaiah 49, verse 7, and there we'd see once again that God is faithful. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah came to a point where she realized that God was faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. And we have to come to the same conclusion that God is faithful. And just like we saw in these four verses, God is faithful. May we remember that God is always faithful. God is always faithful. And just like Sarah, may we walk by faith and please him and please him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. I thank you that you are faithful. Even Lord, even when we falter, I thank you that you are faithful. Lord, help us to remember that you are faithful. Help us to walk by faith. In your name we pray. Amen.